Hey guys, welcome back to Season 2 of the Asian Hustle Network Podcast, where we dive deep into stories of Asian entrepreneurs around the world. Be sure to check out our book, Uplifted, Journeys of Abundance, Community, and Identity, and check out our directory and marketplace at AsianHustleNetwork.com. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. If you like this podcast, don't forget to leave a five-star review. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network Podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Tina Lee. Five years ago, Tina took a leap of faith and quit her nine to five to pursue content creation. 596,000 followers later, she now dedicates her time to teaching other aspiring creators how to do the same so they too can chase their dreams. Tina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. And we're very excited to have you on the show today. So Tina, I would love to know a little bit about more about you. So tell us where you were born and raised and what your experience was like growing up. Sure. So I was born in Taiwan. And at the age of three, we immigrated to Brisbane, Australia. It was a smaller city in Australia. So there weren't as many Asians. So growing up, it probably felt a lot like maybe some a lot of other people's experience where I, I didn't really fit in. It was a little bit of struggle finding your identity, but over time as you grow up and go to college and then go into the workplace, it you overcome that. Wow. What was that experience like? I'm sure it must have been such a life, you know, changing journey for you, just moving from country to country. And I know that after Australia, you had also moved to the States. And yes. so just going through so many transitions, what was it like for you? Where did you have any, you know, experience where you felt like you were just trying to figure out your identity, especially being Asian, you know, moving from Taiwan to Australia to the United States? I'm sure there was a lot of finding out and figuring out that you were doing and discovering who you were. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, for sure. In addition to not feeling like a fit in, I'm also super introverted. So it, I always felt like I was really, really out of place in like the Western world where everyone was very open and everyone complimented each other. And that's just not really how it happened in my Asian household. And my parents very much stuck to their roots and they didn't want us to like overly assimilate and forget our roots. So it was always a struggle between trying to fit in and trying to find an identity in this land that you kind of want feel like is home but then sort of missing the Asian part and so I've been around the world kind of like you mentioned it was Australia when I grew up then I went back to Taiwan for about 10 years before I even moved back moved out to the U.S. so my uh, years of actually growing up in college and working was in Taiwan so maybe it wasn't quite 10 years, but it was many, many years in Taiwan. And I feel like it's a transition for every period that you're living in a different country. So in Australia, it was trying to fit in, but not really feeling like you fit in anywhere. And then when I went back to Taiwan, I realized, oh, this feels like home. This this is my roots. And I got that kind of settled into me before I moved out to the US. And so I kind of know that that is my home and that is my identity. I know maybe that's a different story to many other Asian Americans, Australians, or anybody else who kind of spent 
most of their lives in their country that they grew up in. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I love that you had that experience and that you came to that realization. And I often feel that way because sometimes in America, I might it might not feel like, you know, 100% home to me, right? Sometimes I do yeah. feel like a little bit more Asian. And then when I go back to my motherland, I'm like, wow, this I there's like so many people that are resonating with me or like yeah. just have like similar backgrounds. And I completely understand what you mean. And so after moving to, you know, Australia and the States, what was that kind of like entrepreneurial mindset that kind of sparked? Did you always know that you were going to be entrepreneurial or was it, you know, something that was taught to you? I know that you had a lot of like design roles in the past before you became a full-time content creator. So what was it that really like sparked? Did you always know that you were going to be an entrepreneur? Yeah, when I grew up, my parents just kind of wanted me to be a well-rounded person in general so that I could pursue whatever I wanted. But my dad is actually an entrepreneur and he runs a publishing company in Taiwan. And so I guess even though I didn't think I would become an entrepreneur, it probably just all the dinner talks and everything affected me over time. And so I was first working in design and I wanted to to become a fashion designer one day. But while I was there, I, I realized that it's very capital heavy. I didn't want to have to depend on my parents too much, although they still helped me out along the way. But I wanted to do something that wasn't so capital heavy. And I stumbled upon other people blogging, doing Instagram. And I thought, oh, that's really cool. What if I could try and make this work? And so I tried to work on it while I was working my full-time job. And then over time, it developed into something I could never have dreamed of. Oh my goodness. Yes. And for the people who are watching this podcast on video, if you can see Tina's background, oh my goodness, it, <laughs> it is so beautiful. It has all these like amazing pastel colors with all of her dresses in the background. Like I can definitely tell that you have like a fashion uh, designer background. Super messy camera gear too. This is like my Instagram set. <laughs> no, it looks totally neat. Like it doesn't look messy <laughs> at all. <laughs> so, I mean, Back then when you were like just starting out social media, can you tell us what year this was? I just want to get a picture of like what yes. the social media kind of like field was like at that time. Yes, it was end of 2016. So at that time, Instagram was just starting to really take off for everybody. And blogging was still very, very popular. So I wanted to originally start with a blog. But then I realized that Instagram and social media is the place where it's at. So I hopped on that very quickly after. Oh, wow. I mean, doing those two different things, like having a nine to five and doing social media content creation is so tiring, you know, and I'm sure that you were doing a lot of content creation. I mean, like when I'm doing content creation with Brian on like Asian Hustle Network, it is really like a full time job, you know, and if you're yeah. balancing the two, it can really, really burn you out. What was it like for you? Like, how did you kind of like manage your time doing content creation? And were you like, did you have like set goals? Like I have to post like once per day or I have to do a vlog like, you know, once per week. What was your like measures of success at that time? Did you have like certain goals at that time? Yeah, I think the the beauty of starting out as a beginner in sort of the entrepreneurial world is you don't really know exactly what is success and you just have like kind of, this blind passion for what you do. So I didn't really have measurable goals because I had no idea what was expected. I didn't know what the trajectory would look like. It's It wasn't definitely wasn't as mature as it may be now. So I kind of just really wanted 
to do it. And when you see little mini glimpses of progress, not even success, not like got brand deals or anything. It's just that when you first set up your blog and then you're proud of yourself, then you post the first blog post and you're proud of yourself. So every little win, I try to celebrate that. And I think that motivated me to keep going, even though it was very hard to to balance, which was your question. Like it's impossible to find balance in the beginning. And I think you just have to accept that if you're okay with that and you just grind for a while in the beginning, then you'll start to see rewards over a longer period of time. It's not going to be overnight and there's going to be a lot of struggle, but it's all part of the process and it's pretty fun. Yeah. I mean, you bring up a really good point because I feel like nowadays with a lot of the social media platforms, they say that you have to post like three times a day. You have to post like once per day on Instagram. You have to post a reel once per day or something like that. But for the people who were, you know, like early adopters on a lot of other social media platforms like Instagram and others, it's like, I feel like a lot of people were just like throwing paint on the wall because there was really no, like, you have to do this, you have to do X, Y, and Z, right? And people were just like being themselves, like doing whatever they wanted to. You didn't have to like follow this, this routine or, you know, this like, I don't know, like what everyone else is telling you to do, right? And so the people who were early adopters, they really just like did whatever they wanted. And I think a lot of people found them early on and thought, oh, like, I really like this person's content, which is which what makes like early adopters so special that they were able to, you know, start early on. So while you were doing that, like, and doing your nine to five, um, did you when did you kind of like decide, okay, do I want to stay at my nine to five or do I want to quit? Like what made you make that final jump? And how is it like right after you made that final jump? Yeah, I think for any smart person, they would not do what I did, which was quit way too early. I mentioned that I started late 2016. And I think it was mid 2017 that I decided to quit. That's definitely too soon. I didn't really even have foundations set in. I wasn't I wasn't really sure what I was doing. But I just saw that there was growth in terms of follower count. There was no growth in money or anything. But I had saved up some money. And I had I was dating my current husband and so we were about to move in so I was like all right I can give it a try you know I'll give it a try for one or two years and if this works out then awesome but I kind of knew I was onto something but there was no concrete plan or anything I just was really obsessed with creating content and so I decided to take the leap (laughs) fortunately it worked out Oh my goodness, that's crazy. I mean, yeah, a lot of people say like you should probably have like a lot of brand deals lined up or make sure that you have consistent sponsorships before you really quit your job to do content creation full time. But I feel like in your case, you, you know, had faith a lot of faith in content creation yeah. and it was like something passionate that you wanted to do. And well, really just like you you really just, you know, hit the gun running in and like put all of your effort into it after you quit. I kind of figured that if it didn't work out after a year, I could still get back into the workforce. I was working as an associate designer. So one year away from the workforce wouldn't put me too far back. Whereas I can imagine if, let's say, you're a lawyer climbing up or if you're in the finance industry and you leave and then you come back, it might be a bit more difficult. So depending on the industry and how far you're at, you really have to weigh your decisions. But also, um, you know, Ryan Serhant, he had a book where he said he had his back against the wall and then that's when he did like 
really great things. Yeah. I feel like I would never give people the advice to quit your job when it's too early. I, I always tell everyone, like, make sure you have savings, make sure you have brand deal income. But quite frankly, I went against all that. But it's just because, you know, as someone advising other people, you want to think for most people and you worry about them. But sometimes I do think that if you have strong, strong belief and you have enough self-awareness, knowing what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses, I think you should go for it and just give it a go and try things out. Especially if the worst thing that can happen is just finding a job a couple years later. Yeah, that's a good point. I like that you knew exactly what your fallback plan was. But at the same time, you knew exactly like what your passion was and you had a niche. You knew what type of content you were going to create, right? Which was like fashion, Mm -hmm. travel, lifestyle. And I feel like a lot of people who want to quit their jobs and do content creation full time, even when they don't have a niche or even when they don't really know what content they're going to produce, that can become really risky, right? Because then you're just like kind of doing the first or the next trend, but it doesn't become sustainable in that way. And then like, if you have a niche and you know what kind of content that you're going to create, you know, exactly like your followers are going to follow you because they follow you, your content because of that thing. And that's why they keep coming back for your content. So it's amazing to know that you, you did have like a fallback plan and you knew exactly like what your vision was. Yeah. Sometimes you just have to take a risk. Yeah, definitely. So during that time when you had first quit your job, you know, didn't have your income from your nine to five, I think one big topic that, you know, a lot of content creators talk about is sponsorships and brand deals. You know, we have to make money to survive. And for a lot of content creators, I think that even if they have a really big following, not a lot of people know how to get sponsorships or brand deals, right? And it, it's yeah. just, it's it's really, really, you know, upsetting that a lot of these agencies or corporations, they, they, they take advantage of that. You know, they know that yeah. a lot of content creators, they don't know the business side to getting brand deals and stuff. So what was your strategy like? And like, how were you able to kind of secure and lock down sponsorships and brand deals? And what was like, what was like the thought process for you at that time? I was actually one of the people who had no idea what to charge. And although I had grown pretty fast because I was so focused on creating content, I wasn't as focused on trying to get brand deals. So I fall into that that category of people who didn't know how to price yourself. And so, and I also didn't know how to pitch to people. And I'm kind of scared to pitch to people in the beginning, especially because you don't really feel confident at first, especially in a new field like social media. I think there's a lot of imposter syndrome. And so it took a long time. I already had maybe over 100,000 and I still wasn't getting consistent brand deals because I just didn't know that that's really possible and actually quite normal for people who are in the know. What changed was when I started networking with other influencers in the New York area, and then I started going to events with them. I showed up on their stories and then the PR people who were following them saw me. And then without actively trying to reach out, I started getting more inbound. So I think the first thing to do is to really understand who's in control of the brand deals and how to reach those people, whether it's through somebody else's stories or through direct outreach or by signing up to like a platform. Mm, that's a really great point. Yeah. I think a lot of the times for a lot of content creators, they think that if they just create content themselves and only themselves, then they're going to be okay. Yes. You know, like brand yeah. deals are just going to come in. But 
making those connections, right? Yeah. Like making those connections and finding collaboration opportunities is just as important, if not even more. So I, yeah, that's a really great point. I think that's why a lot of people always emphasize on like build those relationships and Mm -hmm. partner with other content creators is very, very important. Yes, totally. So social media, it's just such like a different ballpark. It's like, there's also like a lot that goes into it with like followers and managing your social media accounts and chasing those numbers. And I'm sure there's a lot of times that you have burnout, right? There's a lot of content creators that have burnout and it's constantly like trying to get a bigger number of followers or trying to get a number, a certain number of likes or something like that. Right. And even though I think there's like certain things that Instagram tries to do to hide like like counts and stuff like that. But at the same time, it's just inevitable for us to like look at likes and look at follower numbers. How do you manage burnout in that sense? And what do you do to kind of like manage your stress levels? Yeah, what I realized is that burnout really comes not because you're actually creating too much. When you really love something, it doesn't matter if you have to do it like 18 hours a day, you will keep doing it if you see the same numbers and the same results or consistently more numbers. So what burnout really means for creators is how we feel about our numbers. It's not actually you're physically burnt out or you can't do more work or you're physically so stressed and tired. That is, it translates to that. But what we really need to think about is our mindset towards the numbers that are showing up in our insights and how we feel about that. And to really remind ourselves that you have to, first of all, be proud of what you do and enjoy your work or else all those numbers will entirely dictate how you feel about yourself as a creator and whether you want to keep pursuing this. So I think it's really important to just understand that numbers don't reflect our self-worth and then to always remember that content is the first thing that you should be thinking about rather than the numbers or anybody else's approval. And if you didn't do it for the content, then you're probably doing it for the wrong reasons. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think we live in a time right now where like we are chasing numbers so much. But if you produce content about the things that you are really in love with and that you're passionate about, it becomes so easy. You know, you could do it like all day and it won't get tiring. And, you know, for you, like I could definitely tell that you're in love with fashion, you're in love with traveling and that just comes easy for you. And you're, you know, open and willing to do that, that type of stuff all day. And you know, for some people, they never find that they never find their mm. niche, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's just amazing. It's I love that you really did get to hone in on your niche and find what you are really passionate about. Yeah, I guess I got lucky. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So there's so many platforms out there, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, like, I feel like we always hear from other content creators where, you know, they say, oh, once you gain a number of followers on TikTok, you have to move your content to YouTube, et cetera, et cetera. Is there a certain platform that you think is more important than the other? And Mm. why so? Mm -mm. I think it's either Instagram or YouTube, but it does feel like YouTube is more longer form. It has more searchability. So there's probably more strength in that, but YouTube is a lot harder and there's a a higher entry barrier to entry. So I can imagine, you know, there's less people 
succeeding to sort of a certain degree on YouTube. So I would say overall, a more well-rounded strategy, Instagram would be a really great choice for, for most people. For me personally, I have always focused on Instagram. It was just kind of what I fell in love with. And so I obsess over it, which kind of means that I have less time to obsess over other platforms. But I am really hoping to get into YouTube and hopefully create more longer form content and get good at it. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, YouTube is definitely more for longer form. And if you're able to execute it on it, you know, perfectly, then because I feel like a lot of people's attention span, they get very short nowadays. And that's why a lot of people are like moving on to TikTok, like those videos are like less than 10 seconds. But if you are able to execute on YouTube in a effective way, like you're able to get your followers and your subscribers to watch your whole video, then that's a really, really good thing. And I know that you've been able to execute on Instagram and YouTube very effectively. I do have a question on Instagram and this, there's no like right or wrong answer, but I've been hearing about, you know, Instagram algorithm changing and Mm -hmm. a lot of people have been talking about this. A lot of people have been voicing their opinions saying like, I can't believe, you know, Instagram's algorithm is changing. I'm not getting as many likes or followers and, you know, they're getting followers from like fake accounts and stuff like that. What are your thoughts on it? And have you personally experienced any changes with the Instagram algorithm? Yes, yes. Well, first of all, that is all true. There are very few people who are immune to this. I'm pretty sure most, if not all people are affected. However, and I did go through the period where especially when Reels was first introduced and I was mostly heavily focused on photo, I was very concerned. I I may have even cried. It's embarrassing, but I may have like shed some tear because I was really concerned about like where the future is going. Can I keep up? There's a lot of fear around change. But over time, even though, yes, sometimes I hate the algorithm, I hate, hate that certain things don't get seen. But what I really think is that social media is, is not a content type. Instagram is not made for photos. It's just a social media platform. And you can choose to get better at video and improve yourself and adapt to what's changing, or you can not. And that's fine if that's your choice. But I would like to improve with whatever the changes are happening and make sure that I stay up to date. And also, I think we need to kind of adjust our mentality towards the numbers. There can be new normals for engagement rates and maybe brands have to also understand that as well. And you as a creator have to understand that. So I think it's about adapting and adapting a mindset and then improving your skill set. Mm, Yeah, that's a really great point. Yeah, I see a lot of people saying like, oh, Instagram should just go back to the way it was just do all photos, Mm -hmm. because that's really what we want. But I think we also have to think about the times we're in a lot of people want to watch like videos now because they see that our true personality shines through with videos with photos. It's like, it's really hard to see what your personality is like, because you're literally just looking at a photo. So it is really important for us to like adapt with the times and adapt to what the platform wants us to be posting content about on that platform as well. Yeah. Yeah. Unless we want Instagram to die out, we have to (laughs) produce video on Instagram. It's not really necessarily Instagram forcing us. Mm -hmm. It's that their data is forcing them to make these changes. They are a super powerful, huge, huge, it's a huge company. 
they are backed by analytics and numbers and they know where business is coming, where it's going, and they understand that this is how they have to evolve. And it pisses a lot of people off, but ultimately we adapt and we we change with the flow. Yeah, absolutely. And it's 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 a good thing that we're changing. You know, we always have to improve. And if us you know, if a platform just stays the same the whole time and we don't really improve with our skills and our content creation as well. So it can also come with pros and good things as well. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I've seen a lot of articles and read a lot of articles on you. And in those articles, obviously, there's a lot of photos from your Instagram that they pull into those articles. And they're all just so beautiful. And for the listeners, definitely check out Tina's Instagram. And we'll leave all of her social media on the show notes for this episode as well. But just looking at the photos is so beautiful. I just want to know, like how much planning goes into your shoots and just talk about like the effort that goes into like changing and bringing your you know set of clothes and just like setting the tone and the image what is your creative process when you're doing a shoot and just like walk us through like you know when you go to the actual place to shoot at like when you would need to like change out of your outfit, how many times you change out of your outfit in a single day and what that timeline looks like. Yeah, I will say before Reels was introduced, it was very labor intensive. It was bring at least three to five outfits to one location and I have like this changing dress where I just plop it over my head and then I change underneath it. It's like a magic trick. It's like pulling a rabbit out of a hat. And so that works really well. And I would get to places really, really early, 6 or 7 a.m. at the latest 8 a.m. So I can get it all empty and get in multiple different looks or shoots. And then go to the next cafe store when it opens. So I research all of that stuff and I plan the day out in probably one hour, two hour time slots so that I can maximize my time and have a lot of content. But that has really changed now. Now that video content is the main driver. I don't really go to destinations as much as I used to. And I also don't go to places as much just because it's pretty because if you can't show it well in a video, then the photo itself is less likely to be pushed out. And so as much as I love photo, I'm a, I'm a pretty like I'm pretty focused on my insights. So I go where the, the best engagement comes. And so that's why I set up this studio so that I can create video content here. But it's great because if I took a photo, I could only do it like a few times. But I did videos. I can do all kinds of creative concepts and create in Premiere Pro and more advanced software so that it's interesting and new. Wow. That's, yeah. I mean, both of those just like seem like there's a lot of creative process that goes into it. So, I mean, props to you and just like lugging all of your clothes to like a certain destination, like that must take a lot of work. Do you ever come up with any like creative blocks? Like there's just like moments where you just don't know what to produce or don't know what type of content to record. Because I feel like I go through that a lot personally. Like sometimes I just don't feel like I know what to record I feel like I'm in a in a like a dump and it's really Mm. hard to get out of that dump right like it's like Mm. I don't know what to do like I feel like I've done that already just want to know if you've ever had any creative blocks and how do you how do you get out of them yeah well for me usually the creative blocks come when I have to play two characters in my business two roles in my business when I have to be the business-minded person with business strategy and do marketing and then do the back end like funnels and setting up automation and tech and everything 
And I enjoy it. It's fun. It's rewarding. But then I have to be creative on the front end and show up every day and greet everyone. It's very hard. That's when I have creator block and I just couldn't come up with anything creative because my mind is too focused on the business. I'm not sure. Is that kind of what you go through as well? Yeah, I feel like it's easier to kind of come up with content if you have a niche, right? Before, when I was just trying to create content and I didn't have a niche, it was so hard to think of mm. what content to create. And right. it's it's kind of like I would just come up with the latest trend type of content on TikTok. But once you have a content niche or, you know, you know exactly what you're going to post, it's easier to like think of things that are surrounding you. Oh, like I can use that yeah. as a prop or I can use that as my background. And so it gets a little bit easier that way. But you know, it, it's inevitable to come to have like creative blocks because sometimes you just feel uninspired. Yes. Yes. But yeah, it's 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 interesting to know what your what your strategy is to kind of get out of that creative block. Yeah, if, if I'm feeling stuck, then usually I will go back to the pe people that I looked at maybe four or five years ago, because I think over time we evolve to keep looking at people in our industry, people in our niche, because those are the people we have not have to, but like we tend to engage with. And what I realized is looking outside of my niche and also looking back many, many years back at what inspired me to get started in the first place, that gives you that original spark of the passion for what you do. And it reminds you that you don't have to think within the narrow narrow sort of definition of what is trending right now. If you only look at what's trending right now, you're only ever going to produce what is trending and it's going to look more or less the same as everybody else. So unless you can bring like some special spice to it, which also works really well, usually you have to extract yourself from that situation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's really good advice. So out of all the destinations that you've been to, Tina, what has been your favorite destination that you had a photo shoot at? Oh, that's hard. Oh, <laughs> I, I love Tuscany. Tuscany, Tuscany is so beautiful. Yeah. And my husband and I got married there. A wedding was there. So it was absolutely amazing. So that's definitely a special place to me. Oh, I love that. Congratulations, by the way. Mm -hmm. I did Thanks. read about your destination wedding and I wanted to ask about that as well. What was that like? Did you have this like whole planned out with the destination wedding? I'm sure with the destination wedding, you there was a lot of opportunity for content creation there as well. So how did you plan the content creation process as well as your wedding and make sure that they intertwined with each other? Yeah, yeah. My husband is a very practical person. He's not romantic. So I almost was like, take the money that you were going to spend on the wedding and give it to me. But at some point, I was like, I kind of want a wedding. I think I'll regret it if we don't do it, even though it sounds great to like skip all that hassle. And so I decided I was going to really make it super, super picturesque. And my whole goal was that it would be insanely beautiful in pictures and photos. And I know everyone's going to be like, hey, you don't live in the moment. Like that's not like true to the meaning of love or whatever. But I enjoy it. And he enjoyed it. All the guests had a great time. It was the best day of our lives. Like we were so happy. Everyone got really drunk and I had this great planner. And so it, it all worked out very well. I got my videos, I got my photos and we had a blast. Oh, I love that so much. I feel like most of the times when I'm doing content creation, I, I get so stressed. I'm like, I have to make sure everything's perfect. But for you, like, I can't even imagine because you also had a wedding to plan side by side. So it's like, I give you props for doing both, but it really and is. I like... did sponsorships too. Oh, wow. For your wedding? It, yeah. 
Yeah, I've been I, hearing I that negotiated a, lot. a couple. Oh my and I was goodness. like, this is a good time to get good engagement. And so I marketed that to them and it did work out really well. But fortunately, uh, the, obviously the planner was great. My husband is super chill. He has, he doesn't care how it turns out. So I was able to sort of dictate how everything happened. Yeah. And my friends, I invited them to be the photographers and videographers. And I had worked with all of them before many, many times. And so that's where the trust comes from. Like, I know they're going to do a fantastic job. I didn't have to worry about that. And even I even had other friends who were content creators and I designated them a role. And I was like, Jerome, you are the behind the scenes person. You helped me film all of the iPhone content. So that's how it went. <laughs> well, I love that. I feel like I've been hearing that a lot lately where people are trying to get their wedding sponsored and maybe not the whole wedding. You can have like little no, bits yeah. and pieces of your wedding sponsored, but it is possible. I mean, like <laughs> weddings are so expensive nowadays, yeah, you know, especially yeah. maybe destination wedding is could be a little bit more affordable, but the weddings in the States, like they charge yeah. so much and f just for the venue itself, it's so expensive and for everything else, just added on top of it, it adds up. But yeah, if you're totally. able to sponsor parts of it, that is a win-win. So definitely, you know, <laughs> listen to Tina, become a content creator <laughs> and get your wedding sponsored. <laughs> and if you create great content from the wedding, you can also grow followers from that, which brings you more business. So it's just good business overall to have a nice <laughs> wedding. I love that. That's a really good business strategy. <laughs> so Tina, I do have, you know, a couple last questions for you with, you know, your rise in social media. Where do you kind of see your platform going in the next five to 10 years? And where do you want to hopefully take that? Mm -hmm, sure. So in the beginning, it was just creating content for fun and then working with brands. But two years ago, I realized that a lot of people were asking me on how to create content or how to also do the same. And so I started the full-time influencer program and that's become its own brand sort of on its own as well. And I would like to educate more people on the power of social media because I have seen it change so many people's lives, including my own. And a lot of my friends are creators and they always say it's the best thing that's ever happened to them. And I, I have to agree. So my goal really for the future is to just spread the word more, no matter how you take it, how you do it, sponsorship or become a coach or start a network like AHN, which is super powerful. I just wish more people knew about what they could do with social media. Oh, yeah, definitely. And not only that, but you are inspiring so many other people, especially the younger generation that like you, this is something that you can do as your career. And you're absolutely right. Like it has changed so many people's lives, like people who are feeling stuck in their nine to five yeah. and want to actually just con create content about something that they're truly passionate about it really is can be life-changing and so full-time influencer we will leave that in the show notes as well and for our last question tina if you could give one advice to an aspiring content creator what would that one advice be it would be to this is so corny it would be to do it for for the passion because if you don't have passion to drive you, you won't last for long. If you want to build a personal brand that will last for a decade or longer, you have to be passionate about, about what you do. 
That's really good advice. And that's a perfect ending to it all. Tina, thank you so much for being on the show. Where can our listeners find more about you online? Yeah, you can find my creator account at of leather and lace on Instagram. And if you want to find the full-time influencer brand, we have a podcast as well, where we share tips and resources for creators. And that's also fulltimeinfluencer.co on Instagram. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Tina, for being on the show today. I had an amazing time just learning about your story. Thank you so much for having me. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.